August 27th is fast approaching. And what is significant about August 27th? Well, from 11 a.m. to 2 a.m. at the substation in Seattle, Washington, Modular Seattle and Patchworks presents Velocity. Trade show, seminars, workshops, and performances. The lineup includes, but not limited to, Richard Devine, Daedalus, Lisa Belladonna, Bad Snacks, Walker Farrell, Todd Barton, so many more. I'm going to do a live podcast with Richard Devine, Daedalus, and Lisa Belladonna. I'm very, very excited about that. I might have some t-shirts there, but we'll get to that later. Let's talk about tickets. You can get them at VelocitySeattle.com right now. I highly recommend you do so. And if you're wondering like, hey, I don't, you know, I don't live around in the Pacific Northwest, but I don't have any August plans. Well, I highly recommend you get yourself a little plane or bus or train ticket and come on up. It's going to be absolutely, um, how do the kids say it? Off the chain? Not sure what chain they're referring to, but if there was going to be a chain, it will certainly be off it. So please visit VelocitySeattle.com to learn more about how you can come and enjoy an amazing event and even see your boy Tim doing a live podcast. I really hope to see you there. Let's get into the show. Hello and welcome back to Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held and I will be your captain through this podcast voyage. This week we have Hugo R.A. Paris from Tiny Crush Mixing and from a lot of other things. Um, we have a really great discussion and uh, we really, really talk about the importance of mixing your tracks. Um, and it's really funny because we didn't actually get into any modular talk, which is kind of a crying shame because Hugo has worked with uh, 4MS specifically on the spherical wavetable navigator. Uh, so we're going to definitely have to have Hugo back on to uh, to talk about that stuff. But we get a little bit of his, uh, his musical background and how he got into mixing and all that. We talk a little bit about the mixing of uh, my track called Nostalgia that we have been working on together for the past few months. I've been documenting that that uh, experience in the intro of the shows for the past few weeks. So uh, yeah, if, if you're not familiar with that, if this is your first time listening, well then welcome. You can go back and listen to my experience with that. And I played the track on last week's episode. Uh, I might still just play it at the end of this one because it seemed pertinent. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into that and much more. But before we do, there's some quick business to attend to. First off, I've done a few um, pretty in-depth videos for Afterlaters. Um, Adam, which is an Elements clone from Mutable, much smaller, same functionality, and Pachinko, which is a smaller version of Marbles. Those are up on the Afterlater Audio YouTube page. And I tell you what, it's been really, really fun, but also challenging making these demo videos of these like really intense and deep modules. I, I feel like every week I am making like a, uh, a final project for like a graduate program or something. And much like my experience with mixing music, I have no formal training at all as far as video editing goes, but I think I'm getting my head wrapped around it and I'm having a lot of fun with that aspect. 
So yeah, I would love it if you went to uh, the YouTube for After Later and checked that stuff out. You could always head over to afterlateraudio.com. Um, you know, I'd like to thank them for their continued support of Podular Modcast. I'd also like to thank Patchworks Seattle for their continued support of the podcast. You can head over to patchworks.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com for all of your synthesizer needs. They're working so hard. Uh, they've been working so hard and continue to work so hard uh, on this velocity thing that's coming up. I don't know if you know about this velocity thing, but I mentioned it in the, uh, the very beginning of the episode. It's going to be a great time. I'm so, so incredibly excited. I'm going to have Eli from Mystic Circuits and Daedalus staying with me for the weekend. So um, not only is the show something I'm very much looking forward to, I'm also looking forward to hanging out with some buds. So uh, yeah, once again, thank you to Patchworks for their continued support of Podular Modcast. I want to throw a quick shout out to Juanito over at Modular for the Masses. Uh, he just uh, released this really limited run uh, module called the Nyquist Nightmare, and he sent me a, uh, a module, and it's really, really fun. It's It's got a really cool faceplate. It's all embossed. It looks great, um, but it's just like the signal uh, mangle, mangler. It's a signal mangler, um, and it's uh, I don't know exactly how it works. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to tell you a little bit more in the future, but I'll put a link to the show description. Um, it's very, uh, it's, it's very hand on there are a lot of knobs with not a lot of CV in which is kind of fun um, I feel like sometimes we want CV to control everything but then we uh, we lose sight of the ability you know our ability to control it manually and I feel like this is a pretty fun thing to control manually so yeah once again thank you to Juanito over at modular for the for the masses uh, I'll throw a link in the show description for that and I know it's annoying to not have a, a demo of a module that I just talked about but uh, yeah just go check it out online. I'm hopefully going to uh, find some time to do a little uh, recording with it and throw it in uh, a future episode. I just haven't had much time to do anything that I want to do. Um, and that's not unique to me. I know that so many people out there are like, I, I hear you. Um, so yeah, the final thing I'll say here in this show intro before we get into it is uh, thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. I'm going to throw some more uh, field recording um sound bites up there for y'all to to use in whatever way you'd like more sample packs coming in the future and yes there will be more modular module modular modules i will be uh, i'll be giving away more modules hopefully soon i got i gotta wait for some things to uh well trust me it's coming i'm gonna try to keep it as regular as i can um but yeah patreon.com forward slash podular modcast thank you to everybody who supports me over there let's get into this chat with hugo Cool. Well, Hugo, this is uh, this is cool. We we've we've chatted over Zoom and we've talked a lot through email and uh, Instagram, but I haven't really got to know you very much because you were mixing my my stuff, so it was very focused on the piece that I was working on and everything. So I want to spend some time today just kind of getting to know you because you you have so many you have your foot in a lot of different rings of of music um including modular so i definitely want to talk about that but let's go all the way back well as far as you want to go um what was there a song was there an experience was there an artist or a person that you've personally knew that flipped on your switch that made you know that music was your path like was there a profound experience or anything like that 
Uh, it's a very good question, and I always have a hard time answering this one <laughs> because it's been a journey, like discovering what I connect with, mm -hmm. and just for me, it was. I guess there's a couple key moments. Like, first off, um, my, my parents are separated mm -hmm. back in France, and uh, they separated. At, I was at a very young age, so um, I would go from one to the other from a very young age, and they're very different. Mm -hmm. And my father's side, my father is a musician, and uh, his brother is too. And so my uncle uh, had lots of synthesizers. Oh, and okay. so very early on, I get to just like he had a studio and I got to hang in there and watch him play and watch him record, um, record stuff like, you know, he had an M1, which is now in my, in my, uh, Korg M1, which is now in my gear closet, uh, nice. which I, so special. It's exactly my age, uh, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Um, so a lot of synthesizers and I think. Um, my gra my grandmother, who I'm, who I was very close to, she passed. Uh, she had this thing that she really wanted to empower uh, the people in her family to do what matters to them. She was very loving and caring, and so she is the person who brought synthesizers in the family by buying a GX3P for my uncle, his first keyboard. Oh, cool, cool. And yeah, a, good, it was just a very good rush. first synth. Yeah, and he had the controller, the PG400 or whatever it's called, 300, I forgot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a really good one. And uh, it was fun. Like recently, we got to hang out and we were listening to the tapes he recorded back then with that keyboard. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, it's, it was pretty cool. Um, so I would see that and I didn't. I didn't have a musical ear for some reason. I was actually pretty pitch deaf, <laughs> which was so sad. Like I can share uh, an experience I had. I was I loved music, but I also remember like being in choir in school and loving it, like really having the <laughs> time of my life. And then the teacher getting mad <laughs> because he thought I was making fun of him. Oh no. Yeah, and he kicked me out. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was very embarrassing because I was just like, I did not, it's that feeling of like, I don't even know what I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, totally. And, um, but I, I had a thing with sound. I was just like always listening. I had a Walkman and I had like some <laughs> happy hardcore tapes that my neighbor had ripped for me. Mm -hmm. So I would listen to that on my Walkman and I just like all day long and listen to those textures that they use. And like, you can hear the amps driving like crazy when the kick hits. So I love that stuff and just kind of putting two plus two together, gathering that there's keyboards in it. I talked to my grandma and she got me like a little portable um, battery operated little piano. Nice. And like an old Yamaha? Like, like, no, not even. Like it was like a red thing. <laughs> and uh, it was like red and it had maybe 25 mini keys okay okay and it, but it had i just remember that sound like once again i remember the sound of it mm -hmm. it's like this kind of like toyish um synthesizer 
with like the drive on the speaker, like mm-hmm. you can hear that those overtones coming from that little speaker that's being driven mm-hmm. at high volume. I mean, high volume for that device. And just like, this is such a sweet memory for me. And having yeah. that empowerment from somebody who loves me, like my grandma, give me that. Totally. Um, but strangely, I didn't really connect with music in a way where like it clicked and I played it every day. Mm-hmm. Until later on, it took until um, I was 15 for that to happen. And what was and, it at 15 that did that? <laughs> so my um, my mom, having had been with a musician, my father, and mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like uh, not really, you know, having kind of a bitter, sweet memory of being with somebody who's a musician. Uh-huh. She was hoping I would not be a musician. Aha, uh-huh. yeah. And so when I said, hey, I'd like to do, to play guitar, you know, in my early, really early teens, she was like, great, he's going to play guitar in middle school. And by the time he gets to high school, he'll be done with it. <laughs> little did, little she, did know. she know that, uh, yeah, middle <laughs> school is the exact age you need to get a guitar to start playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, little did she know, like, I... I didn't really touch it right then. And then I was in high school and um, someone offered me to grab an amp. I brought it home and I plugged that guitar. She got me. It was like my first year of high school, plugged the guitar and something like happened immediately. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I had to play it every day. It made me happy. I stopped playing video games. Like, yeah, like video games completely uh, lost their lust on me just because Mm -hmm. of how much the experience of playing a guitar brought me. And then from then I just, it didn't stop. Like, you know, some, I think another big click is that when somebody gave me a, um, a CD, it was like, Hey, do you want some audio software? And I was like, sure. And he copied a CD for me. And there was like, you know, those old, like, I don't know if you remember those H2O or oxygen ripped, um, uh, like, you know, ripped software. Yeah. Like it was yeah. like a crew Sounds and it would play like some sort of like cheap tune music while it's installing. <laughs> and so I ended up with ACID Pro 4 and Fruity, Lo- uh, Fru- uh, Fruity Loops. Yeah. Studio. Yeah. I remember messing with acid and uh, not the drug, but the program in, in high school a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. It was pretty much like what I'm doing today. Yeah. For yeah. A living. <laughs> <laughs> was there a particular band or something that got you wanting to play guitar? Or was that just kind of uh, like the soup du jour of, of middle school instruments? That's a very good question. I think, huh, I don't know. It's I guess what were you listening to then at that point in time? When I clicked with guitar? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> I'm not super proud of it, but I was really into Marilyn Manson and like Slipknot yeah. and like, Oh man, um, you you and I are probably the same age now that yeah. you've mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> what year did you graduate high school? Uh that was when was it? 2005. Okay, I'm 2002. Oh, you're one of yes. the old kids, the cool ones. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was the old kid introducing uh kids your age to uh to Slipknot. I I saw Slipknot play at Ozfest when they were on like the third stage and they were one of the like the first five bands of the day like during the day and it was like 
broad daylight, tiny stage, and just this massive band, like so many people. And actually the clown drummer, the guy who played one of the upright kind of uh, or uh, uh, drum kits, he was headbanging so hard that he he split his forehead open on the drum and had to like go off stage and there was like emts and stuff behind because he like really hurt himself and uh i read an interview later that he said he he got shot in the head he was like i thought i got shot wow <laughs> yeah these that, guys that's... were crazy on stage <laughs> yeah still yeah. are but like i got to cross path with uh mick thompson their guitar player uh-huh is he as, as big as he back... looks <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty big. Um, and it was kind of wild. Like, um, it was at NAM, and I was, I just got a text from my friends that work at Death by Audio, the guitar mm -hmm. pedal. Yeah. Um, I think it was Dog, or yeah, I think it was him who texted me. He was like, Make time, son is at the booth come over and i was just like what <laughs> and uh, sure enough he was there <laughs> That's awesome. so i got to see him like it's it's kind of cool to get those moments where you can make the teenager version of yourself like proud you just check oh, something totally. for him like, yeah just take that box like mm -hmm. uh, yeah at that same Ozfest, um growing up like pantera was one of my favorite bands like oh, yes all middle school and high school and um and while we while we were at one of those smaller stages at Ozfest there was this uh this golf cart driving around like just on the other side of the fence so it was like the green like the green room area only artists but it was literally just this like little tiny wooden fence so you could just see right there and there was there was fucking dime bag uh daryl from pantera just yeah. sitting on the back with with a drink in his hand and me and all my buddies were like dime bag and he just like lifted his drink to us and like gave us the horns and we were like oh my god that's so cool that's wild <laughs> i used i used to really be into them like i really got even more into metal as i developed into guitar i i think mm. it's like kind of a it's both like the teenager angst yeah and like yeah. that that edge and that kind of like you have your own hormones kicking in and you're like oh power yeah power totally metal. totally yeah and and at the same time like kind of like this also like the early on insecurity of playing music i really wanted to be able to show that i was good mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. i picked the stuff that seemed the hardest to play yeah you yeah. know because I didn't quite understand nuance yet or like, yeah, right. You know. right. <laughs> so I was just like, this looks fast. This looks hard. So, you know, kind of like the Olympics of guitar, yeah, <laughs> just like yeah. make it a physical performance. But, um, talking about Pantera, I really loved like the, the, um, the energy in their music was so powerful. And at the same time I arrived here in the U S um, 12, 11 years ago. And okay. as I, got to live more here and my English developed, but also my understanding of the American culture. I was like, Whoa, Pantera. Like, I feel weird about the band now. You yeah. Know, all the Confederate flags and all that stuff. I'm like, oh, it's yeah, just too much for, for sure. Me. For sure. I actually, I have the, I have a little tiny Cowboys from hell emblem tattooed on, on my arm. And I'm like, I think I maybe need to get rid of that. Um, but it's just like it's a remind like I have a lot of re like my tattoos are kind of almost like a like a collection of reminders of like who I was and what I was into in the past and and stuff. So um I mean I know I know that 
they were they were not not at all trying to justify their use of confederate flags and all that they were definitely trying to i think they were more into like the southern aspect of it than the racist even the, the, on vulgar display of power they even have like a really anti-racist song um but apparently phil anselmo as most rock stars get do as they like they never really have to like fully grow up i don't think and they keep pickling their brains with drugs and alcohol and uh you know testosterone does weird things to old brains i think he's i think he's gotten a little further out there so i haven't kept up on it i don't really listen to him at all i don't mm-hmm. the only time i ever listened to that kind of stuff because honestly i got into punk and that kind of obliterated my desire to listen to metal um because it, it like it I think there's a little bit more, not to say that there isn't this in metal, but there, I think, <laughs> do I dare say there's a little bit more sophistication in the, the, I like the ideas of punk and uh, yeah. So that like that angsty kind of testosterone energy thing was definitely taken by punk, but I still, I still love some, some metal like unabashedly like clutch is one of my favorite bands. I think they're one of the best. Um, but if I'm listening to Pantera or like Deftones or anything like that, it's when I'm hanging out with my friends from high school and we're drinking around a fire or something like that, you know? Totally. And it will, like, it's like music is powerful and it can trigger memories very strongly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it kind of like in a split second, put, you, put your brain into the functioning it had when you were the age yeah. year, when you listened, which is, it's touching and it's also a good way to re-engage like we were talking about, ticking off boxes of like that we desires we had when we were 15 or 13 or 17 and be like mm-hmm. okay i got you buddy like it took some time but i did that for you yeah right and, right, right. Um, <laughs> just reconnecting with it by listening to that music and being like okay you know i'm gonna put myself into that person i was and reconnect with it it's also a good way to reconnect with like all the initial spark that definitely had yeah know, i would play music i can't I need it, you know, I want Yeah, yeah. And heavy music was really important for that for me. Like like heavy music still to this day I, I have found new new avenues to quench that thirst for like heavy stuff like like lightning bolt and hella and deer hoof. Like those are now my modern like those bands are doing for me what Pantera did and then was replaced by punk and now it's it's kinda like that really that really weird hard like some of the heaviest shit i've ever heard is from lightning bolt um i'm not totally. sure if you're familiar with them um no not as much no yeah that's no, I, I mean but it's i just... i i love like howard the who for all the bands have that edge too and just like basically decontextualize the overdriven guitar into heaviness from like a, a macho man exactly yeah attitude and be like no this is an emotion, a feeling that we all get, men, women, all color, all age, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all genders, orientations. And it just, um, I love that. I love that a style of music or um, those are just tool sets for expression. Yeah, it, exactly. it would be as silly to say you can only, only play, you know, um, you can only play black metal if you're a Norwegian <laughs> white guy and you know then it would be to say like you can only use the color yellow on your painting if you are a 
blue person from Mars. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> it's just, it's just part of the, part of the palette we can use mm-hmm. for our canvas. And I think it's, I like people that are not afraid to grab from different places. Yeah, and yeah, as expressive so, tools, right? Without, right. Without the, without the context or the ideology that's tied to the sound. So basically, detaching the sound from the ideology or the context. Like, I I told you, I think I grew up with um, with happy hardcore because my neighbor gave me a tape of it. What is happy like, hardcore? Is, it's like two twenty BPM or something. Like, ba- basic is really into it. Um, okay, he's more into hardcore, but like happy hardcore is like a a wave and him and i have shared taste on that um i grew up with it and it's like really fast it's like always a 909 and always an alpha juno and the alpha uh-huh. juno is almost like 80 percent of the time using the hoover sound like it's known for that okay and it's it's kind of like fast and um if there's vocals there's it's going to be a loop and it's oftentimes going to be pitched up mm-hmm and sped up, so it's very like chirpy and fast. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, you get the idea. And I listened to this when I was like, I don't know, before I was ten, I got the tape because I had all oh, the wow. neighbors, okay. and it would be like, "There you go." And I'd listen on loop to stuff. I was really obsessed with music, like from a really young age. I had like a small portable Fisher Price tape player, and I would walk around listening to tapes. I had one around. that had a microphone on it that I would walk around singing <laughs> oh, Wang yeah. Chung. Yeah. 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 Nice. I don't even remember. No, I don't know if it had a, t- I honestly, I don't remember it. I've just seen pictures of me as a kid with this thing and like I'm screaming into a microphone and then like the stories from my mom and aunts and uncles and everybody's just like, yeah, you never stopped walking around singing. And I'm still that way. Like, you know, if I'm just by my house and by myself in the house or taking a shower or something like I'm either, I'm either playing drums on the steering wheel or singing in the car. Like I'm I, and I've always got a song stuck in my head. Like it's just, it's never stopped. That's amazing. It's amazing to you when you get like, you feel like throughout the day, music flows through you like this. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a position to let that happen, you know, like, you know, having to do a, a job where you cannot do that. Like your brain, your yeah. brain or your focus is fully taken away or you're, your auditory senses are just filled up with something else that's of importance. Like mm-hmm. when you can just let it flow, it's such a, I'm so grateful I get to have that and yeah. get to let it happen. Yeah, me too. Yeah, totally. I'm Cause glad, when I'm I was, glad to hear that you do. Yeah, yeah. When I was doing like construction, it was just like, I hated it. And all I was thinking about all day is what I wanted to do artistically and didn't have the time or energy to do. And uh, yeah. So yeah, Isn't I, that I feel a tough very feeling lucky. to feel like, your day only starts at six when you, once you get home or seven. It is, it is really tough, but I think they're like, now that I'm on the other side of that and I, I have, I've had more time to work on stuff like that, like, especially over the pandemic. Um, I realized that I didn't work on stuff as much as I fantasized I would when I was in the the awful job. Mm -hmm. I really just have to strike when the iron's hot or when the, when the muse is really with me. But when the muse, I have, I have learned recently that if the muse is with me, I have to make the time to, to do the the work because um, I can't force it if it's not there. Totally. 
But I'm sorry, we've you. we've got. I feel like I've really derailed us and gotten us way off track. I want to kind of like I want to I want to talk about this transition from okay, you're playing metal, you're listening to metal, you really want to you know get technical and fast at guitar and shred. Was yeah. that what, what? And you know, I think metal often has. Um, there's often a path from metal into electronic music, usually through like industrial music. Was that? Or I guess you're talking about this hardcore, happy hardcore stuff since you were a kid. So you kind of always had that through line. And it, even Slipknot had like a DJ and, and electronic sounds or something. But like, when do you make this switch? Because you go full in synth at some point. Yeah, I did. Well, I think that the, you know, the background I had with my uncle playing all the synthesizer and just bathing in those sounds all day around him and bathing into electronic music with those happy hardcore tapes, it was really ingrained in me. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I had my teenager time that came in and this metal phase, and I had some punk phase too. Like I had a punk band and stuff, and um, it responded to something that was happening in my life at the time that I needed to express and some things that I needed to process. And then eventually I got to a place where my life felt more peaceful mm -hmm. and I was more at, or I was more at peace with the way my life was maybe. Yeah, totally. And so I, I know, aligned I myself that. to not be anymore in that position of trying to be uh, in a place of like maybe strength or like, or tap as much into my anger and just let go of that and tap into into what's underneath mm -hmm. the more um often say anger is a cover-up emotion yeah fear and fear, fear is the base insecurity yeah. um and so go tap below that and go explore it and uh a big catalyst for me was so i worked for the government for on a government project for uh, five years and a half. It's a big well, one. The French government or the U.S. government? U.S. Okay. It's like the biggest project funded by the NSF, mm -hmm. the National Science Foundation. And I was an engineer on the project. And um, they were behind the first detection of gra gravitational waves, which is a, quite a big deal and for, yeah. for, the, for the science of it. And um, they got the Nobel Prize of Physics of 2017 with the project, which is beautiful. Wow. Were you part of that? I then? was part of the project, yes. Wow, yeah. wow. So you and kind so, of have a Nobel Prize? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, so the way it works, <laughs> closer than I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, contrib I contributed to a project that that the instigators of received the Nobel Prize of Physics. Wow, that's pretty uh, cool. But my name is on the paper, so... There you go. That's pretty nice, and that it's something I'll, I'll remain proud for the rest of my life. Um, but I think that... You know, I, it was time. So the project brought me in diff, to different places. Initially, came brought me to the U.S. in Boston. Okay. Then in Eastern Washington, then the Bay Area, and it's in the Bay Area that. Wait, did you say Eastern it, Washington? Yeah, the Tri Cities. The Tri Cities. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. That's the worst place in Washington to go. Maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe not the worst, but that's the worst section of Washington State for sure. It was rough. <laughs> it was yeah. uh, rough on the cultural aspect. I was oh, having for a really sure. hard time. Because all of a sudden I had time, you know, before that I was in engineering school and I had no time, 
nights, weekends, all taken with studying. But then I was working and all of a sudden I could do stuff on the weekends and the evenings. So I was like, great, I'll do music. But I couldn't find anyone to play with. No, they probably just wanted to play metal and country. Yeah. If, yeah. And they were usually, you know, much younger or much older than me. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I found some open mics and stuff, but it was kind of hard. And eventually when I moved to San Francisco, I kept doing music. I joined a couple bands, like started getting into new wave and stuff. And that just like moment where we connected really with something that was deeper in, within me, just like, you know, fear is a cover up emotion. You have some uh, anger and then you have something deeper. I reconnected with something deeper within me musically, which was the um, electric electronic music that I like, those sounds that I love that I found to be so sweet and poppy. Like I had like uh, OMD's uh, vinyl when I was a kid that I listened to on loop, uh, the Enola Gay single, which is such a good song. Yeah, I don't know if I know that one. Enola Gay, you should have stayed at home yesterday. Whoa. Hmm. Yeah, it's a yeah, good one. I don't one. think I know that one. I don't think yeah, I know that. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, I had a couple like kind of like um, new wave uh, vinyl like this that my mom gave me because she was she liked that. And so just allowing myself when I came to San Francisco to reconnect with that, which was my musical origins and starting to play synths, where it's like not as much as as a um, technique flex, but more like, what are you trying to say with your music? Yeah, yeah. you went from showing off to expression to expressing. Yeah, kind of. And, uh, you know, there were some places in between. I played stand-up bass for a few years when I was in the Tri-Cities playing in Brugas bands and stuff. Uh -huh. So, I, I, you know, I, I went, it was, I was not stuck in metal. Like, it's just, I had just a fairly short phase with metal, considering mm -hmm. how long it can last. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it still, it still kicks in, you know, if I listen to it sometimes, it just gets me. But I just yeah. have a different perspective now. Um just with the the cultural context of those bands at their time and what they represent now for me um, makes a difference. And But yeah, Definitely. the synths, just like playing and sitting down and just really being able to just dial in your sound and coming back to that love for sound, not just music, but also sound, mm -hmm. was very touching. And for me, and I think in San Francisco, I just found a community I really liked, like I started going to Aquarius Records when it still existed, which is like an old institution. And they used to put like long reviews on each vinyl. They would print the review that they wrote uh -huh. and, and they knew their stuff. They'd be like, oh yeah, um, you know, <laughs> Bob used to be a guitar player in this other obscure band with this other guy that is now in this band doing this. So you have uh -huh, really like uh -huh. interesting stuff. I love And they were focused like that, yeah. on experimental music and black metal. Okay. So it was like, very interesting for me and um mm -hmm. so they have like you know new wave they had like a tape section and really that's what clicked for me i would just buy tapes and listen on a walkman going full circle and reconnected with that that tape warble you can get out of uh -huh. you know and they they had like one-off tapes that people would make by hands and like paint the paint the box by hand make a custom box and just do weird awesome. stuff and i was like this is so inspiring it's yeah. not just music. It's also playing with sound as a palette. 
Yeah, and the like the format of like you're you, oh I don't need to like find a label or something. I can just like do stuff. Like that's totally. like a big that's a big revelation that that was so important for me. It's just like oh I can just do everything myself. I'm just gonna do that. Yeah. Totally, and that was that was quite yeah. It is quite magical. You can do it yourself. It goes faster than mm -hmm. vinyl, and you can have a physical object, which is nice. I like to engage with physical stuff. I was doing a so lot do of I. Yeah. computer stuff at the time, and I really needed to reconnect with objects. And so for me, going on SoundCloud to browse music didn't really appeal as much to me as going outside, walking, talking to the person at the counter, uh, reading the reviews they had so thoughtfully written, and like just learning this way, and then touching physical releases and... And I love that the price point was not as high as vinyl. Right. So that I could purchase, you know, one a week or two a week and really like have something to look forward to every week and experience this way. And something that was more unique. And uh, so I got into this and I, I slowly like joined a lot of friends, you know, met a lot of friends in San Francisco. And like one of them had a huge studio with tons of keyboards and synth. And he was like, he had played so much music and he knew them so well. And every week he would just trade stuff and I'd show up and the studio has changed and we would just be jamming for hours. <laughs> and it just kept going like this. And I had bands and I was just like always, you know, either at work or in a practice or playing a show. Like it was nonstop. And I'd come back home, pull the gear out of the closet and start writing music just for fun. Mm -hmm. And that's when I wrote my first album, which came out on Jackdown Records in 2014. And that okay. really was something special for me because I had recognition as a solo artist. Mm -hmm. And that was really nice to see the press clippings and to feel like I had done something that just fully felt fully true to me at the moment. Yep. Minimal yeah. processing, one takes, all in the emotion, just like the punk, punk bands you were talking about, just all about the emotion and feel like this was accepted and not only accepted, but celebrated much more than anything else I had done before. I had the exact and same experience with my first full length huge. electronic album. Yeah. yeah. And I still love it for that reason. Like it's, it has such a nostalgia for me. And it's also like the first time I felt like I fully expressed what I've been trying to express as a musician almost the whole time I was being, you know, I just needed the right palette. Like we were talking about earlier. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I, I love that. So we did a little segue, but I, we were talking about like how music comes with a context, like happy hardcore mm -hmm. comes with like rave parties. Right, right, right. Or like metal comes with like sometimes, you know, some stuff, political stuff that I don't agree with, or you don't seem to agree with either. Mm -hmm. And, but if you remove the context, you can just take the energy and the sound mm -hmm. and use it as part of your palette. And so when I worked on Nostalgia, your song I mixed, I love the way you did that. Mm, thank you. Is that you took elements from places and strapped them out of their, stripped them out of their context and used them as elements of your expression. Just like, you know, I can use words that somebody else you know, that would ha I would have very different ideas from. I can use the same words, but in a different order and different context. Right, and right, And convey right. what I mean. 
Mm-hmm. Totally. And yeah. I loved how you did that. And I think that uh, this pe- the piece you wrote, uh, Nostalgia, is beautiful in that way. Thank you. And it has so much to offer in terms of a, a journey, an emotional journey, but also a sonic journey. And it all ties together for me and for you, I'm hearing. And for a <laughs> lot of us, like we feel things through sound, not just notes. Mm-hmm. And I just like really enjoy mixing it because I got to really touch something that was intricate, both emotionally and sonically and very satisfying in terms of um, of texture. I feel like I was touching something that has a very interesting shape and mm. very interesting different textures that melded into each other in an interesting way. So. Yeah. yeah, it was really fun. Um, well, and I loved, I love that you do that and that you get that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I really do. It means a lot coming from you because I really respect your work um, as an artist and um, as a mix engineer. And since since we we found ourselves in that territory and we're over halfway through our hour, there's like a million things that I still want to talk to you about. Please pardon the interruption, but I would like to tell you about Obsidian Sound. Nathan Moody's mastering service. Chances are some of your favorite modular albums have been mastered by Nathan Moody over at Obsidian Sound. Nathan has mastered thousands of songs and hundreds of albums for independent artists, labels, professional composers, and game studios. He's worked with modular artists like Akil Adam, B-Boy Tech, Hein Bach, Gerald Fjord, Todd Barton, R. Benny, me, recently. In fact, the song that you hear right now was mixed by Hugo over at Tiny Crush and mastered by Nathan over at Obsidian Sound. Um, And Nathan is a modular artist himself, and he focuses on preserving artistic intent above all else. And I can say now I've worked with Nathan on, I believe, four projects, and I've been more than happy every time. And just working with him is such a, it's a real, uh, I don't know. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasurable experience. It's easy. uh, It's fun. I always learn something new about how to make my mixes a little bit better before I send them off to the mix engineer later on. Um, And he's just he's just a wealth of knowledge. So if you want to get 10% off your first mastering project with Nathan, head over to obsidiansound.net and tell Nathan that Tim from Podmod sent you. Once again, that's obsidiansound.net. Um, I definitely want to get into to mixing and not specifically my song, but just like, um, but what what you were just talking about kind of makes me makes me wonder or like kind of suppose that because you're like okay, so you started getting into synth music kind of as more of an expressive tool and really like trying to to dig down. Be- um, below some more like surficial layers of of why you are wanting to create and express yourself. Um, I'm wondering, like, not only are you have you found that for yourself, but be, just because you are a mix engineer by trade, how how does that play into your personal creative process? Because if you're listening to a bunch of different people's music and you're not just listening to it passively, you're active, you're actively listening to it more so than probably anybody is other than the person who made it. Like how often are you feeling, do you ever like 
mix a track and then like halfway through your mixing job, like want to just actually stop mixing it and go create something on your own or something like that? Like what's, what's the tie there? (laughs) I do. I do get that feeling when the work is really focused. I do. And I don't, I do get it for a minute. Like for when, when the work is really focused on emotion, Mm-hmm. And I see that it's like raw and the person took risks and they went for it like you did. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, this reconnects me with what I, why I like music and what I like doing music. And it makes me want to play again. Mm-hmm. But also I'm having so much fun mixing it that I'm like, I've never, I don't know. I've never been in the middle of a session, a client session, turn it off to go right. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> that would be I, so I hard for like me. <laughs> I am so fully with the song mm-hmm. that I am in my creative process when I'm mixing it. Right. Like I was going to say it's, it's also a creative process. Over like a like you and I collaborated on that song. Like not you know thank you for giving me all the kind words you just gave me. But really now that it's done, it's it's part partially yours as well. You know. Thank you. I think I. Th- and you're very welcome. I think the that's the thing that is grown and like what we've a lot of a theme that comes back is allowing ourselves to trust our creative and emotional instincts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to bring our touch to something instead of trying to fit a format. Definitely. Or expectations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes like somebody can ask me technically what I did something and I can say technically what it, how it helps and what was done. But more often than not, the choices are made for from an emotional and from a taste point of view. Mm-hmm. And so totally. being able to work in this way and not in genres that are so codified, say I would be doing like EDM uh, mixing or production, I would have to fit like really tight boxes and mm-hmm. that becomes more of a, to me, it would feel like something restrictive and not as much room for expression, but more of a, um, like more of a um, math equation than a poem or something. <laughs> you said it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a different part of the brain, but also a different part of the soul that is expressed. One is, you know, the math equation is the analytical cerebral part which is interesting, but the other part is what makes us human. It's the emotional and the felt part. Mm, and the, totally. I think those moments when we flow, we're in full, uh, I'm going to use a super, uh, what is it? Um, hot word right now, mindfulness. Yeah. A moment yeah. where you're really connected with something that's happening in the real world. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's running on the computer or in the gear. But it's 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 moving in the real world, and my eardrums are being vibrated in my skull. Mm-hmm. It's very physical, mm-hmm. and connecting with that and trying to understand what happens, what I like about it, what I feel, it's very it's very rare we get to do a, something for a living. We're a part of the the work is to think about what we feel. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that, it's so beautiful. I feel so fortunate to get to do that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and definitely. to think about what we feel and use that to what does this make me feel, and then how can I contribute to this? Mm-hmm. So you have an introspective part where you reflect on how you feel, and when when you contribute, and in that that um, cycle is very similar to the cycle of writing for me. Okay, where I'll that sit makes down sense. in front of some equipment yeah. and be like, "Oh, what do I feel?" okay what does what i'm playing make me feel and then it becomes a cycle loop and then how do i convey this i even stop thinking how do i convey it i just do it just like when we talk i don't think about how am i gonna you know convey that i just say it you just say it right right yeah Yeah. totally totally so it's Um, very expressive yeah yeah and it's actually kind of nice because i I, sorry to interrupt you but there's something that's kind of nice with getting materials from somebody is that you get to have this experience without having to wonder what people are going to think about your music because it's not your music. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I there's there's kind of like a, a through there's that made me think of something that I wanted to talk about specifically. So wait, wait, what what was it you were talking about? Hmm, I think I lost it, but it'll it'll come back. Um, but I yeah, think like you were talking about a through line. I was I was saying that I like having the chance to engage with feeling the music and applying taste to it mm-hmm. without right. it being my music and without being self-conscious about right. or without right. considering like what are people going to think about me with my work expressing it, you know? Right. Even though, well, that's, that's a funny, that's a, that's a, that's a funny way to, not a funny way. That's a, that's not how I would expect you to look at it only because I also like, as we've discussed in our, our, our conversations and I've mentioned on the show multiple times, I really like mixing. So to me, I think, especially because I am not a trained, um, mix engineer, I do it all. Just, I just taught myself. And, um, I think for me, when I'm putting stuff out, especially since, you know, now in the, the, the electronic music and the, uh, the, the modular scene where a lot of people do mix their own stuff. I am almost as self-conscious about what people will think about my mix as they will the actual like writing of the piece. Um, but realistically, a lot of 99% of people listening to music aren't thinking about the mix or the mix engineer within it. They're thinking about the track. So yeah, it's just interesting for you, somebody who's just so steeped in mixing to where you, you actually, you think, well, I'm not going to be judged by this, that, other people, you know, the artist will no, be. Because- that, that's actually a really great disconnection that I feel like that would trip me up if I was doing mixing. I feel like that would be because a bad thing for me. I, I see what you mean. I th- uh, definitely, I'm, I want to, I want to feel proud of everything I do and I put a lot of care into it. So I wouldn't let something happen that I would feel ashamed of what comes out. Right. You're not going to mix but something I'll- that you don't think you can make sound better. You're going to work with yeah, the artist to it, make sure you get it in this place it needs to be before you do that, right? I mean, yeah, that's what we did. If, yeah. if I, if, if I <laughs> thank you, if I didn't think that it sounded better, I would tell the artist. So it'd be like, I think we just confirmed that the previous version was the best we could get mm-hmm. currently. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a very valuable answer. Yeah. Um, well, still, and that's, it has yeah, never happened, but it's it's valuable. But I think that the difference is that the song comes out; it doesn't come out as Hugo Paris nostalgia. It comes out as right. Tim Held nostalgia. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, 
And you know, you were saying like people don't listen for the mix, they listen for the music, but I'm not even sure if they, li if most people listen for the music, most people listen for the emotion. I'm hoping. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, yeah. And I think maybe like there's the imposter syndrome or like self-conscious part where you're mixing your own thing. You don't have the perspective of somebody else that tells you, no, this is a great song. And right. that's a very important step switching, transitioning from writing to mixing. And mm -hmm. if you have no one to give you that perspective, it's difficult or somebody you trust that you're not even friends or close friends with, like, you know, not, not say not a collaborator on another band mm -hmm. or, you know, a partner who, who will be supportive likely of, of what's done. But like somebody who's like, it's, it's hard. You can find this in a partner. You can find this in a friend. You can find this in a bandmate, but it's hard to find people who <clears throat> are really trying you, to you, help you. Yeah. With you the need an honest the craft. Yeah. Right. They have to be honest, but they also have to like want, it to be the best that it can be. And, you know, as I've been outlining uh, my experience working with you over the past few episodes, um, that was one of like the themes of one of the episodes that I talked about was just how, you know, imposter syndrome, it's so weird. I am, I am constantly oscillating between um, full on imposter syndrome and full on Dunning Kruger. Are you familiar with the Dunning Kruger? Like, so sometimes I'm like, I'm, I'm so fucking awesome. This is so good. This is the best thing that's like, that I've ever done. And, you know, just think that, oh my, like I can get on a real weird high horse, but the next day I'll go in to start working on it again and hear it. And it'll, I'll instantly drop down to be like, this is dog shit, you know? So it's, it's really weird to be kind of oscillating between those two points. So when working with you on those days when I was feeling, you know, I don't know, or like writing back to you about something like, I'm not sure, like you, you, you get, you helped, you helped me maintain a level of confidence with like, oh yeah, I want to, I like this track and I want to keep pursuing this track. Cause there were times where we were going through it and I'm like, did I send him the right, is this the right thing for us to work on? Is this even something that I really like that much? Um, so, and then of course, having it mastered by Nathan and kind of talking to him about it too, helped me also. So it's, it's, it's so valuable to, cause I've talked about this a lot of having a, a you know, an outside source to help you really be honest about something. Is this good? Should I not do this part or this? Um, and that's something that I feel like is, is, a, is very, very much missing within the electronic world, especially the modular world where we all, it is such a DIY community where people really do just do the full on everything on their own. And when you don't have an outside source kind of keeping you honest or a sounding board, um, I don't think you're, you're fully realizing your, uh, your potential of, of a piece. That's so true. That's so true. And there's, even though there are speakers to play back the music and we could say, Oh, that's a mirror. There's not a, an emotional mirror of like how it's felt from somebody who is a clean, clean slate, mm -hmm. somebody mm -hmm. who was not involved with the writing somebody who was not involved with those decisions, somebody who might understand your career. Like I went and listened back to your, your previous releases to understand what you do mm -hmm. and to really understand, serve you. And, but having somebody who understands that and at the same time is like, doesn't carry all the, 
the expectations you may have put on yourself along the way. Totally. Or the biases you have feeling like, oh, I should go this way because the trend, it, you know, something is trending this way. Or, yeah. but more like what basically it, it helps having somebody be a clean slate and have that clean slate receive the music and respond to that, which is mm -hmm. completely fresh. And I think that's the part that I don't get to have with my own music. You know, when yeah. you were telling me about yeah, mixing absolutely. my own music, I don't mm -hmm. get to have it when I work on my own stuff and um, it's missing. Mm -hmm. It's missing. Yeah. I have people that I send tracks to to get feedback and perspective, but I think that um, there's a couple things that come from mi from mixing with somebody that are very special. Like you have you have a piece of commitment that is really huge. It's the commitment to complete something. When you buy a piece yes, of gear, that's huge. I have so many people asking me, "How do I finish something? Like, how do like do you have any advice on how to make sure that you actually see something through, whether it's a track or releasing a track or doing an album?" And yeah, having it mixed or mastered by somebody else is is probably that one of the best things to commit, do. Commit commit to having the writing yeah. finished for, by a certain date. And what's a good way to do that? Book a mixing session. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Or, and it that's the same thing that. I say about playing live. I, when I started playing live yeah. as an electronic musician, I was constantly telling myself, I need to build a set so I can book a show. And I eventually realized I was never going to build that set. So I booked the show before I built the set. That's the way to go. That yep. is the way to go. And, Absolutely. Um, because that makes you, in order to build a set, you need to be a performer to feel like a performer. In order to feel like a performer, you need to have a bookings ahead. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've never thought about it like in the, that that way, and it's very it's a very simple and plain way to look at it. But it, that's so true. That's absolute. That's you hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> and it's it. I felt. I think it's because I know it well. I felt that many yeah, times. Right? Too. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's the same with the same with um, with writing a song or finishing an album. Like you can. Um, You, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> you will not feel like a writer or a creator or a musical artist until there's an output for that recorded music. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what is the output for somebody who writes is the mixing session. Yeah, because you can you can patch and, and record all day long, but those will just sit on the hard drive. I'm I'm guilty of that. I know countless people who are guilty of that. And that feels heavy. That yeah. feels very heavy to feel, have tracks sitting on the hard drive. There's a few things that feel heavy, and I think it's tied to hope. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a good buy, point. Yep. We buy gear because we hope this is gonna unlock my potential. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna dive into this one piece of gear. This is probably the last one I get. This is the missing piece of my puzzle. <laughs> I now have the most harmonious setup and I'm good. I'm going to be creating and finishing this album. And sure enough, we dive into it. We see limitations because there's always limitations. And then we realize, oh, I could use something else. Or I'm not really feeling it. I don't know why I just got this $500 or $1,000 piece of gear and I'm just not really gelling yet. And that brings guilt. Yep. And that's heavy because we feel like We've hoped for something. 
We promised something to ourselves. We invested money into it and it didn't show up. Man, you, you I, honestly, like, I feel like putting my arms in the air and like moving my hands <laughs> and being like, preach, preach. Cause like, you are like, you are seeing into my soul right now. And I know other people are like, yep, this is, you're, you're describing me exactly right now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm only, I'm only opening up to what's inside my soul when I'm right, right. going through this. And, um, and I'm glad we can relate. It makes me feel less alone. And I know, I know a lot yeah. of us feel that. Um, and so, you know, uh, it's kind of like I was reading a, I've been reading about creativity. That's something I'm very interested in. And like, you can say, okay, uh, in order to write a book, I need to find the right, the perfect notebook, the perfect pen, and I need to feel like I find the right coffee shop to feel inspired. <laughs> and then I do all these things, and I'll going to show up, and I'm going to be a writer. And mm -hmm. The whole time, until you get to the coffee shop and actually try to start writing, you're not writing. So you're not. No, a writer. but you feel like you're feel full of that hope and that like. You feel oh, this full is of that of... hope. Yeah. You feel full of that hope, but you're not a writer yet. And what happens when you get to the coffee shop eventually and you start writing, and it's not happening right away, you feel guilty, and you feel shame, and you feel imposter syndrome. You feel like I've been putting all that time into this for nothing and you built all that pressure, like hyping yourself up. I'm going to sit down and visualizing the process. And then you're like, I'm not able to show up for this. I set up all this pressure and I'm not able to take it and show up and deliver. And that is awful because it brings so much imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. What and if you might instead, just call it quits right there. You might just call it quits and then have all that stuff sit on your desk at home for, and every day we see at. it you're just like i feel so much shame uh -huh. <laughs> and how, how many times do we get that with gear mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. we look at gear and like oh don't look at me like i know i haven't touched you and done what i promised to do with you stop looking at me keyboard or what much <laughs> what if you know instead we just realize that our music um is not about what we use to say things, but it's about what we have to say. Mm -hmm. And therefore, no matter what we find, what we use, we'll still say that through it. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking on uh, Zencaster now, but if I call you on the cell phone or if we see each other, it's a different medium, but we're still having the exchange. Right. So no matter what instrument you use, your voice will come through. That's so true. That is so, so true. Um, and I actually put myself to that test sometimes because I go through everything you just said. This is the final piece of gear. Now I have the perfect setup. Um, but the other night, you know, I just recently got an iPad. And the other night I was sitting out back, you know, at night just because I like to sit outside at night. And uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to see if I like, of course, I can make a song on GarageBand, you know, but I was like, I'm going to see if I can have fun and actually make something that I like. And I made some pretty cool stuff. Then I'm like, this is still very much me. It's just all on an iPad that I did with a stylus. And I actually saw myself being like, oh, this could be a really great tool for making loops to then put on samplers. And it was something that I approached at first as kind of like a gimmicky, like, oh, this will be fun. But it's like, oh, this is so even something that I see as almost like a toy or kind of cheesy, um, even though GarageBand's reasonably powerful. Um, you know, like I still found a way to 
could be creative and express myself on that. So, you know, something awesome. I always, you know, try to tell people, um, you know, who, who are, are maybe having a little writer's block or something is like maybe strip down your gear and go down to the basics. And that album that I was talking about earlier, that was kind of that I had a similar experience with as you did with your first on Jack Tone. It was called Typical Haunts. And I had just shit gear. And what I ended up doing was because my my tracks, some of my tracks I recorded onto the outboard mic on my MacBook. And then to actually make those work, what I did is I just put, um, I just like sidechain compressed the noise and that became like the voice of the the whole album. It was this like this breathing sound that's kind of permeates through a lot of the tracks. It was like, I was just making do with what I had, but I still was able to fully express myself sorry i interrupted you because i i know no, where you're I think leading it's awesome. I, I think it's awesome what you're saying because it really shows that instead of spending too much time choosing the right notebook and having the right pen or waiting that you have enough money to buy the proper notebook and the proper pen you just grab whatever you could find pen paper whatever and you just start going because mm -hmm. at the end of the day you talked about punk before they didn't have crazy gear It's not mm -hmm. about what you do it with. It's what you put through it. Mm -hmm. And even if you put it through a crappy contact, $1 contact mic, if you put something that's meaningful through it, it will come through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this, this, yeah, this is like the, because you, I mean, let's, let's be honest about you and I working together. I think it was a little bit like pulling teeth for you to get me to have, because you were like, you know, you promote my stuff. You should really have something mastered by me. And I'm like, well, or mixed by me. And I'm like, well, I really like mixing. And, um, you know, but then you, you kind of gave me like that you've given me this kind of like similar like spiel before. And you really convinced me that like, it's extremely useful, even if I do think, or even if I can do it. Yeah, sure. I can mix stuff pretty decently, but, but like the way you said it to me was like, people will spend so much money on this gear and then end up in this position that you're describing of not, not finishing stuff, not actually learning the gear, being intimidated by it and feeling guilty about it. But people are so reticent to spend the money on like mixing or mastering services because they feel like that's something they could do for themselves and that's just backwards it seems like because you can yeah. express yourself on anything i have my hands up in the air i'm ready I'm gonna it. <laughs> 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 it's so true and that's because when we invest into gear like this and we're spending so much time researching the gear whether it's a pen of paper for a writer or the next module for your euro rack or the next keyboard or the next sequencer We're communicating to the gear and to the setup. And we're putting hurdles before we get to start creating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you hire somebody, you commit to your craft, you commit to your muse. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important part. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to look, I've at least I've never seen anyone tell me, hey, man, I feel so good about my musical career. In 1992, I had a Juno 60. In 2001, I had this. You know, in 2012, I had a beautiful make no share system. No, what people tell me is like, I've made music that made sense to me and I got to play it in front of people. Mm -hmm. Or 
people heard the recordings and they sent me a message because they felt something. I got to express something. I got to be in the moment. I got to learn. I got to grow. And that happens through committing to your craft by working with somebody else. Because when you hire somebody for your craft, you're also really committing to the craft saying, the craft is good enough to be looked at by a pro. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Versus, no, mm -hmm. no, we have to hide it in my in their bedroom for now. We have to hide it in the studio for now until it's good enough, until it's enough gear, until it's enough. It is enough. And then it never goes anywhere. It never yep. goes anywhere. And it only starts when you do it. And mm -hmm. it, you only get to do it once you start, you know. I mean, tell me honestly, how how long would it have taken you to feel like nostalgia is done? And would you have gotten to a point where you feel like this is a finished track and I'm happy with it? Uh, I, I don't know if I would. Ha I may have just abandoned it. Like I said, like you kind of helped me like feel confident in it all the way through because I've had a, I have a really bad habit of starting something and then um, really liking it as I'm going along and thinking that it's going to become something really, really good. And then through the process of trying to produce it and mix it and everything, I, um, I start to lose interest in it or feel like it's not what it didn't it's not what I thought it could be and I can't make it what I thought I could be, but that's all just, again, kind of going back to having this honest, like objective outside, um, perspective. I get you, well, not just me. I think everybody, you get way too close to your own art. You're so close to it that you cannot fully see it for what it actually is. And you'll never fully see it. You'll see what you feel about it and what you felt when you made it and what you're hoping to portray in that. But so because, because yeah, who knows if I would have finished it. That's, that's the bottom line. I don't know if I would have ever, ever spent more time on it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. I often use the forehead analogy. Like it's crazy that our forehead is so close to us. <laughs> uh, and yet we'll never see it directly right right yeah <laughs> or what it really is it always is distorted somehow at least a little bit by a mirror mm -hmm. and it's kind of like that like you, we just can't yeah and I, you know you were talking about liking something that you just wrote and then losing interest and it's oftentimes because you have the two phase you have the muse when you create and you love it and you let it out and then you have the editor Yep. And the editor is way more of a critic. Yeah. The editor is the critic, which can be great, but it's difficult if the editor is criticizing his own work. And it's difficult if the editor and the muse are the same person because the editor is going to bruise the muse and constrict mm -hmm. it. So the mm -hmm. more most time as an artist you spend as the editor can be tricky because you can bruise the muse, it's a balance. And if you spend, say, an hour, two hours, three hours writing a song, five hours, and then you spend 20 hours mixing it, and we easily do that. I'm, that's that's I, like my process, you just described it perfectly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who, who, has the most, who has the most space, who's growing more, and who has mm -hmm. the upper hand on the other one? It's mm -hmm. the editor, and it constricts the muse, so, if you bet on yourself as an artist, if you want to, if you want to express yourself, then you need to focus on the muse 
have some editor in your compositional process, but don't add up editor time that's not needed, which is like the mixing, the mastering, leave that to somebody else. Yeah. And especially like if, if you like, if, like you just described it, if you spend, you know, let's say you spend five hours, 10 hours, let's just say 10 hours, just to, just to call it real fair. You spend 10 hours building a patch and tracking the patch and like kind of formulating this piece. Well, then if you're going to spend the next 40 hours of the free time you have to be creative to mix it, well, then that is four other tracks that you could have written. Exactly. Exactly. So imagine, so we're looking at a, at 50 hours and that's, there's four of them. That's 80% of the time is spent in editing mode. 20% mm -hmm. is spent in, in creator or muse mode. Which one are we trying to be? Are we trying to be an artist, a muse, or are we trying to be an editor? I don't think most people that are mixing their own tracks are trying to be mixing engineers for a living. That's not what they're after. They have to mm -hmm. being, being an artist. So why invest 80% of your time and energy and resources? Because you're going to buy plugins, you're going to buy stuff, you're going to be thinking about gear. You're going to think, you're I need to buy this do. new module to make this next part yeah. actually do what I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, totally. why spend all that? Yeah. Into the, the editor if you're not trying to be the editor. Right, right. And so I think, um, I think it's really a commitment of one's resources towards one's creative endeavor. And keep, I really keeping like the some way you for the written process, but not too much. Mm -hmm. I like the way you you kind of contextualize it into like, like almost like a. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, like, uh, like a, a a practice of kindness on yourself. <laughs> totally, you know, it really is. It really is, <laughs> because when you we all get imposter syndrome, and when you spend you know, 80% of your time in editor mode on your own work, we are our worst critics on everything, mm -hmm. like physical, you mm -hmm. know, I don't like my mm -hmm. cheekbones or whatever, like, you know, those kind of things. But mm -hmm. also with our music, it could be really tough stuff we would never say to somebody else. Like, man, you totally. suck. You really thought you did something great and it really sucks. Like, right, yep. Why, yeah. why give that power to that side of ourselves who's not even qualified for this because mm -hmm. it doesn't even have that editor within ourselves. doesn't even have the perspective it takes to give that advice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And why, totally. why develop that trait uh, within ourselves when really what we want to develop is the feeling of freedom and creation and expression and then give it to someone and let go and go well, back I'll, to creating. Yeah. I tell you what, this conversation right now that we're having now, I feel like I've got ants in my pants. I want to go create now. <laughs> and unfortunately nice. I have to go to work, but, but now I'm like, Ooh, I want to create. Um, yeah. I love stuff like this and we are, we're over an hour. Um, and I'm not trying to get out of here any, you know, I'm not trying to hurry out of here, but I also don't want to, um, take up too much of your day there on this kind of topic. Every, you know, when I had Nathan on, um, you know, I like to, if I have somebody on who does something like mixing or mastering, I like to kind of see if they have any advice out there for people either setting up a track to record, to send it off, to have it mixed, or just, you know, do you have any advice to people from a mix, a mix engineer standpoint, anybody out there listening, who's recording their modular at any level of experience of that, like, do you, what is your advice to them 
technical or any of this, obviously send it to somebody to get mixed, um, is, is your advice. But I mean, beyond yeah. that, like, um, if you feel, if it felt good when you made it, trust it. If it felt right when you made it, trust it. Do not go back and like overanalyze it. Trust it. If you really need to go back and check it one more time, put it aside. Put it aside for a month, come back in a month, and only allow yourself to listen to it once or twice. And, you know, don't try to look for everything that's wrong about it in the writing. Just try to think, if I could change one thing, what would it be? One thing, the thing that bothers me the most, what is it? So you'll instead of looking for every little problem, you'll be like, okay, what's the one thing? And then you find something, you adjust it, that's it. Maybe that's the most you do. And then move on to having somebody's perspective. If you work with a mixed engineer, talk with them, they'll tell you. You know, if you have hesitations, they'll tell you. Or I, some will, I, I do usually. I'm like, if somebody tells me like, do you think that bridge is too long? I'll, I'll share my insight on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also the value in working with somebody with, who also is an artist because they can help you with that decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, my point is trust that feeling, trust the muse. If you felt it, if it felt right, trust it. Also remember that no work has to be ultimate. Just like no setup has to be ultimate. They're just snapshots. So just treat them like a picture. A picture of me today is going to be different from a picture of me tomorrow and a picture after that. So the picture today doesn't have to be the ultimate picture of me. It's just a representation of today and later on will be a representation of later on. So those recordings, those pieces are just representations of a point in your process. And the important part is, does this point come from something meaningful and then do these points get to be finished so it shows a full arc? So you can mm-hmm, see mm-hmm. the evolution of an artist and f- explore mm-hmm. your evolution. Because you're not really okay. making music for others until you're able to share it. Right. So that, right. those are two, two pieces of advice. And then in terms of I technical advice, I'd say um, spend you know, some time, not too much. As always, you don't want to spend too much time on the gear. Because um, once you have something that works, just like you said, with your laptop, laptop mic, you could make music. Just get something that mm-hmm. works and get to writing. That's it. If that's what you want to do, if you want to be somebody who writes um, and, and, and composes. Um, and then, so if you do one thing with your gear, just try to... We all love reverb, especially modular. We all want <laughs> reverb and tons of bass. And that's cool. The problem is that if you do this during tracking, as soon as you're going to apply dynamic control on something that's wet with reverb, like a compressor, the reverb is going to come up. And that's going to make it a tricky place for the person who's mixing your music because they're going to have to decide whether, you know, the dynamics are are right in the context of their song and the reverb is too loud or the reverb is at the proper level, but the dynamics are not fully right so without getting too technical my main recommendation which is something you beautifully shared in i think the second uh, second time you talked about the series working together Mm -hmm. is that 
try and track, if you're using modular, use a mult. They're cheap. Um, and run your voices through the mult before it hits the effects. And then take the output of the mult, put that in one input of your interface, and put the effect into another input of the interface. This way, when it comes down to mixing, you can have the expression that you apply to the effects. Like say you actually played the reverb, you can have that on the track. But there's a way for uh, you or the person who's going to work with you to rebalance that. And mm -hmm. that's that can be very helpful. I would say do that for, for this kind of situation for overdrive, because overdrive does not only impact tone, but it also impacts dynamics, and it will crush the dynamics big time. And it just takes some a lot of uh, a lot of head especially away low from... end, yeah, yeah, yeah. It can get really tricky. So try and provide both, but also it's okay to commit. For example, you gave me guitar tracks that are like way overdriven, like fuzzy, mm -hmm. and that's cool because that's meant to be this way. Mm -hmm. It's meant to sound fuzzy, but if somebody were to send me something that's really reverby and they want it to sound expensive, like wide, it's going to be hard for me to do because that reverb in place doesn't let me put my reverbs that are maybe that are going to be more adjusted to the context of the mix I made. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, only leave effects that you are fully committed to and for reverbs, track them um, separate. You know, if it's a chorus and you're sure you want to stick to it, that's fine. If it's a fuzz and it's a fuzz guitar, that's it. It's a fuzz guitar. We're not gonna, you right. know, this the sound. Of, there's a sound of a fuzz guitar. But if it's like, you know, a lead going through a fuzz that's completely maxed out, maybe just track the two separately, just in yeah. case we need yeah. to. I was gonna the say, of the mix, like turn it down a little bit. If you have, if you have the 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 inputs available i like and i i didn't do this until we did our process together but now i'm like i'll never not do this um unless i'm like out in the field recording and it's you know it's like i that's what it is but um i think just about anything that goes through a delay or a reverb i'm gonna if i can i'm gonna put the dry sound in as well because again a lot of the like there have been so many times that i've tracked a stereo track out of a multi-channel mixer from modular and absolutely loved what i did tore the patch apart it's gone forever fuck i wish i would have like turned the the feedback on the the delay down or god i wish i would have picked a tip, different time division or even filters oh man there's way too much resonance in this filter and it's and it's just moving in a like a standard sine wave lfo direction that's been the biggest thing for me is modulating totally. a filter with a simple modulation thing and it's just too uh, noticeable and it's just like okay wow cool you're 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 modulating the cutoff of a filter with a sine wave for four minutes straight of this track. Everything yeah, else is it's great. It's the same side wave frequency the whole time. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And now, like, that's not something I'm going to put out all because of that. Yeah. You know? And that's a bummer. And, you know, it's cool. It's cool to do all in one take with modular. It's also cool to multi-track. Your interface, mm -hmm. interface doesn't have eight inputs. That's okay. Re you know, yeah. record with what you have. And um, one trick is that you can record your clock into one of your audio inputs. 
and play yep. back and that clock audio yep. into an envelope follower or not even through an envelope follower. I've done it without it and slap that into the clock input of your modular. You can put it through mm -hmm. a VCA if you need to amplify it, but there's ways to... Yeah, you don't need to connect your DAW to your modular system to get uh, to get multi-tracks at different times in sync. You totally. know, there's all sorts of creative ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. So record record the clock and audio in one, or grab an audio signal from your la from your DAW, or from the DW, you know, put on a click and make it very hot and make it come out of one your output of your uh, interface and put that into an envelope follower or directly into the clock input of your module, your sequencer of choice or trigger, trigger sequencer, whatever. And have that keep everything in sync so that you can do multi-layer, multiple takes, and you just go layer by layer if you don't have enough inputs. And maybe, mm -hmm. you know, it's cool to do it all at once, but also sometimes, like you said, with the LFO, you do it all at once and you focus on the reverb, you focus on the baseline, you focus on the notes, and it feels right. And then you realize, shit, there was this thing running. It was right in front of my face the whole time, but my attention. Yep was not everywhere because we're, we can only pay attention to one thing at a time. We cannot multitask, so we're just switching. And mm -hmm. when we focus really narrow on the musical part, then we lose sight of some other things. Mm -hmm. And so it's good mm -hmm. to allow ourselves to do layers if needed yeah. or, to do a, to, or to do like bands. You know, you do a scratch tracks with your entire modular coming in, with your clock coming out of the DLW or through the, from the modular to the DAW, and then you re retrack mm -hmm. one thing at a time. Yeah, just got to line it up with a click if it's all in yep. time. So, yep. yep. Yeah. Well, Hugo, we're, we're, at 100, we're at an hour 20, and I got to go to work, but I could sit here. I actually just started realizing, like, man, now I feel like I'm in a, a class. I got to start taking notes. Like, uh, <laughs> But, yeah, I just I want to thank you for your time today and also just thank you for um, – for the experience of working with you, what you, what you did with my track and just how much I learned through the process. And, um, yeah, like the, it's, it's funny to me, this is just kind of how I think about things. It just occurred to me, but I think the process of going through that mixing thing with you to, to end up with a final product that the experience of that is, is just as, or maybe more valuable to me than the finished product, you know, cause yes. I learned so much and really got to like, pick apart my, like really got to retool my approach to recording. Because I think another thing is, is if we do this long enough, we start to think that, well, I've been doing this a long time. I, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do, but we all, we all can uh, learn and grow constantly. Um, and yeah. we should, we should never reach a point where we think we can't learn anything from anybody else. And uh, I think I needed that recently. So thanks for that. That's awesome. That's really awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so glad that we were able to put some of that, you know, and and helpful and unequipped uh, uh, editor time mm -hmm. off of your mind and off of your soul. And you know, I'm hoping that you feel that investment towards yourself. That you don't, you did not like invest into a promise that you would do something later with an instrument, but you just mm -hmm. invested into something that is concluded, it's mm -hmm. closed. Totally. Yep. Yep. 100%. And that's super cool. Super cool. Yeah. And thank you for trusting me with it because I had so much fun. It was really cool. 
Good. I'm glad. I felt a little guilty after a while sending it to you. I was like, I sent him a mess, but, um, no, 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 no. but that's part of this the beauty cool. of it. At the end, it I want it to be a mess a little bit at the end. So yeah, you know, and that's what I like too. It's, it was very genuine and like kind of punk in the approach of like, I felt this at that moment and I just, let's see where it goes. Mm -hmm. Let's take that raw emotion and turn it into something. Yeah. Um, so is there anything you would like to scream from the modular mountaintops before we sign off or, or point people in the direction of uh, music wise or any, anything really? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think uh, the big message is don't, uh, don't pressure yourself with figuring out equipment or buying stuff that's going to make you feel guilty, but invest in yourself, bet yeah. on yourself. And, trust and your muse. Yeah. yeah. Trust your muse. This is it. Trust your muse. Yeah. That's yeah. that's huge. Yeah. And I feel well, like thank this is you. the most important of the of the of the chat. Uh, if if you have a the possibility to put that towards the beginning, beginning, it's much more important than my path. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> much more of an offering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. your time. Thank you, Tim. It was really fun chatting with you. Likewise. All right, here is my track Nostalgia, mixed by Hugo over at Tiny Crush and mastered by Nathan Moody at Obsidian Sound. Enjoy!
Thank you.
All right, that's our show. Thank you so much to Hugo for coming on. Don't forget to check out all of his music on Bandcamp and uh, Tiny Crush Mixing. I'm going to put links to all of that stuff in the show description. Thank you to Patchwork Seattle. Don't forget about Velocity coming up August 27th. You can get your tickets at Velocity.com. Thank you to After Later Audio. Please check out those videos that I've been doing for them on their YouTube page. Big shout out to Nathan Moody over at Obsidian Sound. Um, don't, don't just throw an L1 limiter on your uh, your master track. Get that stuff mastered by a professional and somebody who's mastered like all of the people from the modular world. Um, so yeah, once again, obsidiansound.net. Link in the show description. Thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. If you would like to kelp, if you'd like to kelp, you could kelp if you'd like, but if you'd like to help keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podular Modcast, please visit patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. Going to be throwing up more, uh, more field recordings and sample packs and doing some more module giveaways before the year's end for sure. And speaking of Patreon, you can submit words now that I can give to guests for the patch challenge. And I'm very sorry about the lack of patch challenges lately. Just sometimes it doesn't work out timing wise with the guests and everything um so those those are not over they will be back and uh if you would like to uh jump on the discord or the patreon and submit your adjective noun pairings for future uh, uh past challenges i would love it if you did that that's about all i have for you this week your secret word for the the the, the instagram post about this this is for the people who stick around all the way to the end of the episode. Chicory root. C-H-I-C-O-R-Y. Chicory root. Until next week.